So many of you will be with the passages that we're looking at tonight. The very first one, it comes from the book of Luke. Sorry, no, it doesn't. <laughs> the first one comes from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 2, and we're looking at the call of Levi. I always find this a fascinating passage because it starts with Jesus walking along, teaching a large crowd, people that have chosen to, to listen to him. They've taken time out of their day to, to follow him, to stand around, to listen what it is that he's, that he's got to say. He's already done some healing. He's already um, proved himself to be a pretty remarkable guy. And people, um, people show an interest. People want to be in his presence. And so there he is standing there teaching, and a little way away we've got, Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. Now, in those days, the, the taxation system, it kind of worked on a franchise. The Roman authorities would work out what, they, what their income should be from each area, and they would tell the, um, the local authority, in this case, the Jewish rulers. And the Jewish rulers, if they wanted to, could pass on the debt. They could sell the debt to a local businessman. That businessman then, once he'd bought the debt, could do pretty much what he liked. If he had people who refused to pay, he could call in military support to force them. But most of the time, he could just charge extravagant rates of interest and drive them deeper and deeper into debt, his own personal debt. Now, has anybody here ever sent Inland Revenue a Christmas card? No. I thought that's a pretty safe, quite safe question to ask. You see, tax collectors, even today, the Inland Revenue aren't particularly popular. We, we get the letters through and we um, often open them at this time of year and it says, hi, how are you? You owe us this much money because we've got our calculations wrong and sorry, we're going to take it whether you like it or not. And you think, ah, oh. sometimes it's the other way round. In my experience, not very often. In those days, though, it wasn't just a, a chore that people didn't like paying their tax. In those days, tax was a very corrupt system. And so Matthew, sitting there in his tax booth, he wasn't part of the crowd because the crowd didn't want him. He wasn't listening to Jesus. He was just isolated. He was sitting there on his own. Because that's what he did. That was, that was his lot. Now, we don't know whether Matthew was incredibly wealthy and had actually bought the debt, or whether he was employed by, by a wealthy individual to, to work in the tax booth. We're not given that information. What we do know is that Jesus didn't call the crowd he didn't call the ones that had muscled their way to the front, the ones that had got at the front of the queue outside Jesus' house at three o'clock in the morning with their sleeping bags and their thermos waiting for him to come out and start teaching. The biggest fans, the ones with a Jesus tattoo across the shoulder, the ones that were dressing like him, did their hair like him, trimmed their beard like him. They weren't the ones that he called. Instead, he looked around and he saw this individual who was isolated, who was despised, who, if he was typical of his, of his profession, was corrupt. 
who was intensely disliked. And Jesus points to him and says, follow me. And Levi does. He gets up and he follows. I always find it incredible that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, I've got a stack of things to do first. I'd love to, but I can't. He doesn't, he doesn't say, no, thank you. He recognises Jesus. He recognises the power, the strength. There is something, there's almost a, a magnetism that draws him to Jesus. When he, is, when he is beckoned, he is obedient. He follows. He says, I will follow you. He acts immediately. He responds straight away as soon as Jesus says, follow me. We're told Levi got up and followed him. The Pharisees, who were experts in the law, they knew their scriptures inside out, and they lived lives as close as possible to the Torah, the the Jewish law. They knew that Levi was not one of them. They knew that he was corrupt, that he was greedy, that he was, he was unfair. And so when they see Jesus call him, they would have been shocked. They would have been beyond shocked. That doesn't even begin to describe how they would have felt, the indignation they would have felt, especially when they saw Jesus later on sitting in Levi's house eating, breaking bread. He's gone into into Levi's personal space. He's been a guest at Levi's table. He's he's allowed Levi to honour him. He's shared, not just with Levi, but we're told with other tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees sit outside, looking in through the window, disgusted. And they say to the disciples... Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overhears this and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, of course, we read that passage. We're familiar with it. And we love it. We love Jesus for the fact that he's come to save sinners, that he's come to call the right, uh, not to call the righteous, but, but the sinners. He's, he's, you know, he uses that wonderful phrase, a doctor comes to heal the sick, not the healthy. We love that. We love him for that. It sounds a little bit clever. It sounds a little bit, little bit of pie in the face for the Pharisees. But sometimes we have to experience something to really examine ourselves in its light. Today being Mother's Day, Timothy woke up, went to his wardrobe, picked up the little basket of presents that we'd put together last night, and he carried it into into our bedroom, woke us both up and expressed how happy he was with Joe as a mother, decided that she had had met the grade. He was quite satisfied and therefore she was worthy of Mother's Day gifts. And in those gifts, there was um, what he called a smelly candle. Um, She liked that sort of thing. And um, there were two books. Now, Timothy had bought the candle and the two books I I, I sort of had an influence on. Um, 
You see, Timothy's got an interest in cricket. I can't think where he gets it from, but um, he, he's quite keen on cricket. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I, I'm quite keen as well. Um, Joe doesn't really understand the game. Now, I'm quite glad Ian's not here tonight because he always lays into me about cricket, which I think is slightly rich coming from a golfing fanatic. But <laughs> hey-ho. Um, but you see, these books, one of them was an introduction to cricket for mums and dads. And it explains the rules, it explains um, uh, the, the way the game works. And it goes into a little bit of detail, I was quite, quite impressed with it. And that's, that's the first book, the rules and how the game works, how to play the game. The second one is called Cricket, a mother's translation. Because you see, cricket is full of jargon. You can listen to cricket commentary on the radio, you can listen to an over, which is six individual balls bold and you can listen to the commentary and there's so much jargon in it you can you can think you know you can hear words like yorker googly off stump leg stump buys leg buys all these things you think what what on earth are they talking about it just what that's this is a foreign language and so joe's now got this book and um not only has it got definitions of all the different phrases that you like to hear around a cricket match, but also it's got certain phrases that um, <laughs> encourages um, the, the reader to, to learn so that they can come out with them when they're, when they're watching cricket so that those around them actually think they've got an opinion and an idea and an understanding of what's going on. Um, so, uh, yeah, you, if you ever hear Joe coming out with anything that sounds like she knows what she's talking about, challenge her. Really floor, it'd be brilliant. But you see, she's got these books because, um, because she, she knows that Timothy and I enjoy cricket and she wants to be a part of that. And that's brilliant. And I'm, I'm chuffed to bits because, uh, you know, she's a great mother. And uh, I've just realised her mum and dad are sitting there. So, I'm, you know. <laughs> but the reason I tell you this is because Joe will read those books. She'll learn about the rules of cricket. She'll learn the language and the terminology and what it all means. But until she comes to the park with me and Timothy and stands there holding a bat, she won't ever experience what it's like to have somebody throw a ball at you incredibly hard and have to not only get out of the way, but try and make contact with your bat and protect your wicket. Because it's difficult, it's hard. You can explain it, you can read about it, but you can't experience it. You have to experience something to really understand it. So when we read the call of Levi, we don't actually experience what it was like to be a Pharisee. We don't actually experience how it felt, this guy who claimed to be the son of God, suddenly going to the most despised member of the community, the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth, and choosing to break bread with him and his mates. Jesus gives us an opportunity to experience what that's like. And it's subtle. And some of us may have missed it. You see, when he gives us the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14, Jesus tells us about a man who was preparing a massive big feast, a big banquet. There was going to be food, there was going to be drink, there was going to be everything, everything anybody could want. People were going to eat and drink until they could eat and drink no more. There was going to be so much. And he wanted his friends to be there. 
He wanted to share his wealth, the things he'd been blessed with. He wanted to, to lay it open to all of his friends. And when it's all ready, when everything is just right, when the napkins are folded and the tablecloth's neat and the cutlery's out and the food's just in the oven and everything is ready, he says to his servant, go, send out the invitations. I want my three best mates sitting with me at the top table. I want to share it with them because they're, they're close to me. They're devoted to me. They're, they're people that I love and I value and I cherish. And so the servant goes out and he goes up to the first one. And he gives the invitation. He says, the food's ready, the feast is ready. You have got a golden ticket. You have got an invitation. Come. And the guy says, oh, do you know what? I would love to. I've been looking forward to that. But um, look, it's just, really sorry. I've just, I've bought some land I've bought some land, I've got an appointment to go and check it out. I need to go and see it. I can't break the appointment. I'm really sorry. Can you send my apologies? I can't go. The servant goes on to the second friend. He says, you've got an invitation. You're going to be at the top table with your closest friends. You can celebrate. You can enjoy this. It's going to cost you nothing. And the, the, the friend says, oh, um, this is really awkward. Um, I've just I've bought five yoke of oxen. They're, they're cracking animals. Um, they cost me an arm and a leg, but they're going to make my farming life so much easier. And um, uh, listen, I've, I'm hoping to get out in the field tomorrow. I've got to go and check them over tonight. I need to go and just, just make sure they're healthy, they're, they're rested, they're fed, they're, that the stables are okay. I've got to go and check them out. I'm really sorry, but I, I can't go. The servant goes on to the third friend, the third beneficiary of this incredible invitation to this banquet. He knocks on the door. The guy opens the door. He says, oh, hiya. You're, um, you're my mate's servant, aren't you? How are you doing? You all right, yeah? And the servant says, listen, listen, yeah, I'm great. I'm good. You've got an invitation. He, he wants you to come along. He's just finished that massive big feast he's been banging on about for, for years. You know, it's ready. It's tonight. Come along. And the guy sort of looks over his shoulder into the hallway, pulls the door a bit closed, and he says, listen, this is really awkward. I got married last week. She's great, but she's really demanding. I'm really sorry, but there's no chance I can go out tonight. We've, we've got the in-laws coming around. It's a nightmare. This is bad timing. I'm sorry, but I can't go. See ya. And he closes the door. And the servant goes home, and he tells the master, he says, your three best friends can't come. And the master says, why on earth not? They know I've been planning this. They've had the invitation. They knew what was going on. Why? What are their reasons? And the servant says, well, those three really good friends, really devoted friends of yours, the first one, he had somewhere better to be. The second one, he had something better to do. The third one, he had someone he would rather spend the evening with instead of you. Sorry. And the master's devastated. My friends, I've done all this for them. They've thrown it back in my face. Oh. But the master doesn't get angry. Instead, he's, he just thinks, well, listen, this can't go to waste. 
There must be people out there who will be grateful for an invitation. Go out into the city. He said, go out into the, the streets of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. So the servant does. He comes back in, he, say, he says, Si, we've, we've done it, we've done it, they're all in here. They are so grateful, I cannot tell you, but they're all here. There's still space. Should I go and get your friends? Should I go and beg them to come? No, says the master. No, go out into the country lanes. Go out into the roads and the lanes and make them come in as well so that my house is full. Not one of those who were invited will get even a taste of my banquet. You see, at the end of the call of Levi, the ones who knew their scriptures, who observed the law, who made sure that they they lived a life strictly within the guidelines that God had given them, the ones who were very harsh on anyone who didn't, they have become so regimented that they find themselves on the outside looking into the room where Jesus is, asking, why aren't we in there? And it's because they didn't accept the invitation. Because the invitation that we have from God is not an invitation to live lives that are regimented and strict, lives where we will get annihilated if we step outside of these strict rules he's given us. Instead, the invitation is simply, follow me. I, I, know, I know your past. I know your faults. I know your temptations. I know the things that go through your minds when no one's looking. I know, I know that sometimes when you get home and you close the door, you, you change. I know the anger. I know the addiction. I know the depression. I know the hatred. I know it all. Follow me. You're invited to take a seat at the table, at that banquet. Sometimes I look at my life and I think, I can be a Pharisee sometimes. I can be a Pharisee. Looking at others and saying, well, they've got that wrong, they've got that wrong. Yep, that's wrong, shouldn't have done that. Yep, that was a mistake, wasn't it? And I get it wrong. And we as Christians, we can do that. And the Bible tells us that if we're not careful, we can find ourselves on the outside of the banquet, looking in at the people that we've judged who are sitting alongside Christ, feasting. And so tonight, this is a celebration service, and it might not sound like a celebratory message, but it is, because we have been given this opportunity We have been given the chance. Not we wake up one day and suddenly told, right, you're going to be judged straight away. We have chance after chance after chance. Every single day, Jesus sends his servant and says, you are invited to follow me, will you? Please, come on, come along. Every time we get it wrong, we can suddenly say, Lord, why do you want me? And we can check inside our jacket pocket and say, I've still got an invitation. He still wants me. I'm still welcome. Jesus never, ever gives up on you or on me or on anybody out there. Every single person in this world was created because God loves them and he wants them. 
So we can see ourselves sometimes as Pharisees, but hopefully most of the time as the the people that are invited in, the tax collectors and sinners. Let's not big ourselves up. But we can also see ourselves as the servant who gets sent out with the invitation, who can say to the lame, the poor, the crippled, the blind, any sinner, everyone is a sinner, and any sinner is welcome at that table. So tonight, let's, let's recommit to going out, spreading that invitation, making sure that as many people as possible have the opportunity to accept it. And if they don't accept it, that's up to them. But let's make sure they receive the invitation. Next Saturday, we've got this prayer on the streets training day. That is an ideal example of a way that we can invite people to that banquet in heaven. So let's, let's support that as a church. Let's commit to that. Let's commit to praying into it. Let's commit to acting upon it. Let's get out there and share that invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that your word is a lamp to our feet. Lord, we give thanks that your table has a place set with our names on. Father, we give thanks that you've given us an open invitation. Lord, we pray that you will help us to live lives in which we do not ever have anything we'd rather do, anywhere we'd rather be, or anyone we'd rather be with than being with you, than serving you, than loving you. Father, help us to remain focused on you and help us also to be forever directing others to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to invite the worship band to return. And we're going to finish this evening with singing, Come set your rule and reign. Build your kingdom here. Please stand. <coughs>